0: Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings.
1: Hi everyone, welcome into Locked On ACC, February 19th, 2020, as snow approaches the Carolinas allegedly. I'm Brian Wilmer, I'm your host. I am from FB Schedules and College Hoops Digests. Glad you're along. Just one game last night in ACC basketball, and let's take a little time to break down that game. Florida State beats Pitt 82-67. Only three double-digit scorers for the Seminoles, and four for Pitt, interestingly. Florida State last night shoots 50% from the floor. They were 32 of 64. They shot 41% from three, 9 of 22. They won a lot of the hustle stats, too, if you take a look at just down the line. They committed more turnovers than did Pitt, 16-14, but they also scored more points off of Pitt's turnovers, twenty seventeen. Forty 40-27 rebounding advantage for the Noles, 17-12 on the offensive boards, 23-15 second chance points advantage for Florida State as well. Also, 53 bench points for FSU, just 15 for Pitt, and then a fairly glaring number, 44-28 in the paint for the Seminoles. I actually said last night, I stand by this. However, my predictions are almost always wrong. So just note that. There's a reason I don't predict things on this program. I'll leave that to experts like our buddy Blake Lovell over at Locked On SEC. This seems to be setting up perfectly for a Duke-Florida State final in the ACC tournament. And I immediately, as soon as I said that, I was greeted with, Louisville? Unless Jordan Mora can somehow get on track in a hurry. I've got a bad feeling about Louisville in the tournament. Just saying. Pitt, on the other hand, struggled quite badly, particularly in the second half. It was a 38-33 game at the half, and then Pitt shot 9 of 25 in the second half, 3 of 12 from 3. The Panthers, just 38% on the game, 18% from 3. They were 4 of 22. They outshot Florida State at the line, though, 81-75. So there is that. Patrick Williams led Florida State in all scores. He had 16, 7 of 12 from the field, also snared five boards. Trent Forrest and Anthony Polite had 10 apiece. There are four, as I mentioned, double-digit scorers in the Pitt books. However, they lose by 15. Odis Tony led Pitt. He had 15. He was 5 of 10 from the floor, 2 of 4 from 3, also hauled in seven boards. Xavier Johnson had 12. But Xavier Johnson, 3 of 14 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. He did hit 6 of 8 free throws, though. Champagne and Brown, 11 apiece for the Panthers. You'll hear from both coaches on today's program. Let's start with Leonard Hamilton, the victorious head coach from last night. And the
2: tournament down in uh, Fort Long Beach, we have attempts to shoot. I think you free throws, not going the a lot of minimum. My guys getting a lot of shots up. And I think the more you, sh- you shoot, the more you get in rhythm the game. But the most important thing is that you have to get passes to give you opportunity to be in a rhythm. Uh, You have, what, 20? 20, 20. How many assists we have 20. 20 on, th- on tw- 32 bucks to show that uh, we have pretty unsupply spirit and that they were getting good passes. Uh, <coughs> the guys were moving the ball well enough for them to get and Coach, it seemed like there was a lot of motion off the ball
3: um, in your offensive sets, which led you to twenty assists, six guys with more than two assists,
2: including three for ball set. So is that something they've been trying to no that's our system emphasizes ball movement and player movement. Uh, when you have quality of depth, you know, when you want to move that has a tendency to take its total a little bit on the opponent families run all sets and everybody's standing around, the, the, the defense can rest. So, uh, we, we play a lot of people, so we try to be as aggressive as we can defensively. We won't be equal as aggressive on the offensive. Uh, tonight, uh, I thought our guys didn't move. Quite a bit. Um, the other night, uh, I, I, I guess, seriously, we really moved the ball. We did our bodies but, uh, very well. Uh, tonight, the second half, I thought we did a much better job than the first half
1: coach a winning environment. Just talk about taking
2: care of business. and You guys are winning games at home and on the road. <laughs> well, we we have won games <laughs> at home. We still got, what, five more games? And, uh, let's wait until after the season before we start taking You know, I'm pleased with the crowd, and the support that we're getting here at home, administration and student bodies, live and doing well, and community supporting us. Uh, you like to see that. But from a coaching standpoint, you know, we, we want this to just continue to keep going. and focused, not start getting relaxed, feeling good about ourselves. We, we, want, we, we want to have something to be proud of in March.
1: Coach, is more philosophical, but does it matter in the fashion that you guys are, are winning games? There's been games where it's been back and forth and you've pulled away late. There's been games where you guys have been down late and then, find a way to win and, and a game like tonight you come out at halftime and, and kind of run away with it mean, does it matter the way you win games to get you prepared for March?
2: sometimes when you uh, have success that can be your end you know, you could, game comes too easy but you, you know, it goes both ways depends on the maturity of our team and uh, I heard a coach the other day make a comment that teams are only as good as their locker room in February um, whereas you got guys who are still locked in, still playing unselfish, still staying focused on the things that you need to be focused on the development of the team. And I think our guys are, are doing that, and I'm, I'm pleased with that. The culture is good. The effort is good. And uh, sometimes you have to guard against that. You know, you have so many distractions. As uh, youngsters on, on Facebook, this team seems to be holding it together got to enjoy this victory for a few hours. <laughs> and then tomorrow morning we'll be studying, preparing
3: for North Carolina State. Coach, I apologize if this has been Excuse asked. Me? I apologize if this, you were asked this already, but the two games that have beaten you in the last two years, I think 30-plus free throws, both of those games. Was How much of a focus was that for your
2: team in this well, game? It was, it was a focus, and you didn't do too good a job. They shot, what, still top 26. Mm-hmm. They shot 77 free throws in the first two the last two times uh, that we played, that. but that's their system. They really, really drive the ball to the basket. That's who they are, and that's the strength of their team. And so, something has to give. You know, we shot a little bit of the perimeter, and we like to try to have a little bit more balance. I thought we got a pretty good balance inside and outside.
1: Comments there from Leonard Hamilton, the head coach of the Florida State Seminoles. Couple observations from what he had to say there. First of all, he talked about the Ball seeming to be moving better in the second half. Just a a strange statistical thing to point out. Florida State had 10 dimes on 17 baskets in the second half. They had 10 dimes on 15 baskets in the first half. Just strange. Not necessarily saying that means anything, just odd. And then he talked about Pitt getting to the line, and that being their system. Pittsburgh last night, 21 of 26 from the line, 81%. Florida State just 9 of 12 from the line then you look at the actual foul numbers 21 13 florida state so that tends to support a lot of what coach hamilton had to say as far as that being Pitt's system looking to get downhill looking to get into the paint get straight line drives get to the basket get fouled we'll hear from jeff capel in just a minute hear what he had to say about the contest however let's take the first break of the program come back with those words from coach capel and much much more you are listening to Locked on ACC, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Welcome back to Locked on ACC, February 19th, 2020. I am Brian Wilmer. I'm at Sports Matters on Twitter. Follow me and see my ACC and non-ACC thoughts. You can also contact the program at Locked on ACC on Twitter. Also send us an email, LockedOnACC at gmail.com mentioned we would hear from Pittsburgh coach Jeff Capel. hear his thoughts. Florida State, they're an outstanding
0: team. Um, I think they're one of the better teams in the country. They're a team that I think is definitely in contention for a Final Four and I think they have a chance to win it all. Um, They have experience. They have great, obviously great depth, talent, length, athleticism. Uh, Their defense puts you in a position where it's, it's hard to run offense against them, so you just have to be able to play offense and Hope you can make enough shots, uh, make good decisions, you know, get fouled, get to the free throw line. Um, and we, we did th- that in spurts today, tonight. Um, I thought we did some good things with their depth, uh, their size, their athleticism, just overwhelms. Uh You know, we, we, we didn't rebound the basketball well, but a big part is that's a big strength of their team. So, uh, again, we'll learn from it. We'll get better. Uh, but congrats to them. They're a terrific team. Jeff, what was
2: the improvement that you saw in Florida State from last time we played them up in Pittsburgh and how they progressed through the ACC?
0: Well, last time we played it like it's almost like it's a season ago. I mean, it's, it's three months ago, a little bit over three right. months ago. Back um, and so they've improved a lot. I mean, I think a big key is is the improvement of Patrick Williams. I think everyone knew coming out of high school he was one of the better players entering college basketball. And sometimes it takes those guys a while to get used to college basketball, to get acclimated to the practices, to the pace of things, and, you know, and things like that. So I think that's been the big jump. Obviously, his ability, uh, his talent, I should say, and the way they utilize him. And then their depth. And we played him, you know, a couple of big guys were out. They didn't play. I think M.J. Walker was coming off of an injury. I think M.J.'s uh, shooting has gotten better. I think as a team, if you look at conference play, they're averaging about nine made threes a game. I think that's a big improvement from when we saw him from uh, the first game.
3: Jeff, so you, yeah, you got the 31 free throws in the first game against some. You said you were able to do it some, but how were they able to stop you from getting to the lane and getting fouled tonight? I don't think they
0: stopped us from getting to the lane. We just didn't get fouls. I think I think they I guess they did a better job of playing us without fouling. We were able to get in the paint.
1: Well, what was the key to coming out with that energy and that hunger that you always talked about in this first half? Well,
0: you know, we got off to a good start. That's something we've tried to look at some different things of doing on the road. You know, you guys that follow us, we've not gotten off the good starts on the road. I thought you know, we were the first to the floor. I thought we did some things, uh, you know, that were tough. Uh, you know, we rebounded the basketball early at halftime. The rebounding uh, thing was tight. Um, and, you know, we ran out of gas. But I just thought we got off. You know, we spread them out. We were able to drive. We made some good decisions. We cut. Um, you know, I, I was shocked to see them go to a zone. You know they, they they went to his own defense against us. That's something you don't see out of the Florida State team that much. Um, but I just thought they their athleticism and depth overwhelmed us throughout the forty minutes. Jeff, so do you you went with Kareem
3: and Gerald a lot early? Was that a matchup thing, or are oh, you got some foul trouble too? We were in foul
0: trouble. We were in foul trouble. But those guys have played well. I mean, Kareem played well at Virginia Tech, and so we won Coach, train Xavier.
1: they were they would kind of shut them down tonight. Just what were they able to do to, to
0: stop those two guys? Well, there's a lot of tension on those two guys, a lot of attention. Um, they have bigger guys. Uh, they switch everything, and uh, they just kept sending bodies at them. And then they missed some shots, too. I mean, that's part of it. They missed some shots.
3: It seemed like you had Terrell and, and Aldiz kind of going early on, but – weren't able to consistently get them in open looks throughout the game. Was that something they were trying to take away from you, you think, after? after they take
0: game? away everything. I mean, they're one of the better defensive teams in the country. and So it's, it's hard to run an offense against them. You know, if you have set patterns. I mean, one of the perfect examples is everyone that's followed Virginia, since Tony's been there, they run blocker motion. When they play Florida State, they did not run it one time the whole game. Not one time. And so you can't necessarily, it's difficult to run plays against them with how they play defense. And so you have to try to spread the floor out. And then hopefully you have a couple of guys that can create and make right decisions. And so Terrell and all these stuff came because we cut, we made good decisions, they were able to finish, they were able to finish through contact. And that's why those came. They went zone. And so obviously that changes some of those looks that we got. Um, and again, we, we just, you know, we didn't make some shots and we didn't make the best decisions throughout the game.
3: We saw Eric in warm-ups,
0: but obviously he didn't go. Do you have an update on his status? Yeah, he's okay. He just didn't play. You,
3: um, Patrick Williams obviously has just blossomed over the course of the season. Uh, I mean, he's like, you know, everybody knew of him coming out of high school, but... What what, what impressed you about the way he
0: played? Well, he's gotten better. That's the big thing. I mean, he's he's more poised. He understands college basketball better now. He understands, you know, what's needed of him. Obviously, he's improved. He's shooting the ball better. He's handling the ball better. He's a big-time prospect. I mean, he was that way coming out of high school. You know, everyone in the country wanted him. They did an amazing job recruiting him, getting him out of North Carolina. And he's really starting to blossom here. It's the reason why he's... You know, looked at as one of the top guys potentially for the NBA draft. If that's something he chooses to do, when you have talent like that, and then you surround them uh, around other really good guys and older guys and a great culture, then you have a chance to develop something um, really good. And he's done that. Coach, talk
2: about going forward at Pitt and, and your next opponent, and just moving
0: forward. What's hard? I mean, this league's a grind. We played Virginia on Saturday, and obviously. They're they're the best defensive team in our league. I think they're ranked number one in the country again. Um, You know, it's a different group, but they still have championship DNA. You know, they have guys that were a big part of their national championship team. You know, two starters and three starters, a six man, Um, and so you know they're they're an outstanding team. And uh, you know, we have to get back, get some rest. It'll be late when we get in tonight. We'll take tomorrow off and. We'll start getting prepared for them on Thursday.
3: You talked about them having waves of talent. Is that something that's tough with your personnel situation to have an answer for? You don't yep. You don't have waves of death, even if the, even if your guys are playing well. Yes. Is there anything you, I mean, is that kind of something you're just going kind to of have to concede? We need
0: time. I've been here for a little bit over a year. We need time to recruit, and then we have to win some recruiting battles. It's going to happen, but it's not going to happen right away. You know, maybe because of the start we got off to people thought this is going to happen, like, quick. It's not quick. There was a dumpster fire that I took over. And we've done a really good job. These guys have fought, and we've put ourselves in a position where we won more games than we did last year. We've won more conference games. You know, there's an energy about our basketball program right now. But it's not going to happen overnight. And so we have to be able to recruit. we got three guys that we're excited about coming in. We have a kid sitting out, I think, that's really, really good. And so if we can keep the core together, along with some of the guys we have, then we'll get quality depth. But we do not have it right now. There's nothing we can do about that right now. You guys follow us. You should know that. You should know that. That shouldn't be something you ask. There's nothing we can do about that. This is who we are. We can't make a trade. We can't do that. And so this is who we are. Understand that. Don't get ahead of yourself with this stuff.
1: Jeff Capel there. A couple of observations from what he said. First of all, he noted that the rebounding battle was even at the half. It was 17-17, and then Florida State out-rebounded his team 23-10 to in the second half. That is kind of the running out of gas that he mentioned. Of course, Florida State does come at you in waves, and they did it again last night. Mentioned Trey McGowan's. McGowan's just 0-7 from the field, three points. He had three free throws in 34 minutes. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, he talked about it was a dumpster fire when I took over. Yikes. It's a pretty damning indictment of the prior regime in Pitt. And as we wind down this segment here, if I never hear another question, finger quotes, about talk about moving forward in your next opponent. I could spend an entire program talking about that, but I won't. Kiss... It's probably better if we just go ahead and take a second break of the program. You're listening to Locked On ACC, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back to Locked On ACC for February 19th, 2020. Kind of an unusual program schedule this week. There will be either tomorrow or Friday that there will not be a program. Long story, but... We appreciate your understanding. We appreciate your staying with the program. Stay tuned to Locked on ACC on Twitter for any programming schedule changes. It's going to be that time of the year as we get into tournaments and various other things where we may have a little bit of an altered program schedule. But as I said, we appreciate your patience. Very briefly, just two news bits from the ACC Valerie Cagle and Logan all, the Players of the Week in ACC Softball. Cagle. A pitcher designated player at all. She batted 500 last week, drove in 13 runs, hit four homers. She was four of five as a 21 to 2 win over Maryland took place. She had eight RBIs in that game, hit a three run homer, and a grand slam. It's the second of the inning for the Tigers. Two grand slams and an inning. Clemson was just the seventh team. In NCAA Division I softball history to pull that off. Camel was 4-0 in the circle, as the conference notes. She pitched 18 innings, allowed one run. She struck out 25 in 18 innings. She no-hit Western Carolina in a five-inning run rule game. So Valerie Cagle, Logan Camel, your Players of the Week in ACC softball. Taylor Soule and Elizabeth Kitley, the ACC Basketball Players of the Week on the women's side. Soule had two double-doubles. For BC, 24 and a half points, 11 boards per game last week. She had 20 points and hauled in 10 boards, seven on the offensive side. BC beat Notre Dame 56 55 in that contest. She was then 11 of 13 against North Carolina, scored 29 points, brought in 12 boards. Kitley guided Virginia Tech to a 2 0 week last week. She totaled 35 points and 18 rebounds in a 64 61 overtime win against Georgia Tech and a 73 62 victory at Wake Forest. She had 14 points against Georgia Tech. Sunday, she had 21 points. She was 9 of 14 from the floor against the Jackets. She averaged 17 and a half points, nine rebounds a game last week. That is her second ACC Freshman of the Week honor. So, congratulations to Taylor and Elizabeth as well. I wanted to quickly point out, mentioned our buddy Blake Lovell over at Locked On SEC. He mentioned on his program the first FPI release from ESPN. I'm never a big fan of these way too early projections or whatever it is you call them, but they do have Clemson as the top team in the FPI going into next year. I think everybody pretty much expected that Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, et al couple of ACC schools in the biggest jumps in the FPI ranking in the preseason top 25. Florida State jumped 28 spots. They are 23rd preseason, and Virginia Tech jumped 23 spots. They are 25th preseason. Curious to see about that Virginia Tech team. Four ACC schools in the top 25, according to the FPI. Clemson, number one, as we mentioned. North Carolina, number 18. Florida State, 23. Virginia Tech, 25. It then falls off from there, Louisville 35, Miami 37, Pitt 43, Virginia 47, Georgia Tech 55, NC State 59 within the top 60. Also, a couple of observations on Joe Lunardi's latest bracketology as of yesterday. He has Virginia as an 11 seed going to the Albany sub-regional. In that grouping with them, he has the Cavs playing six-seed Butler, the winner of that will play the winner of third seed Penn State and 14th seed Hofstra. A couple of other notes about what Lunardi has. Just four teams from the ACC in the tournament. He has Virginia, as we mentioned. He has Louisville as a third seed, playing UC Irvine as a 14 seed in St. Louis. And the winner of that playing the winner of BYU in Cincinnati. He has Duke in Greensboro, as you might imagine, as a second seed playing 15th-seeded Montana. They would play the winner of Iowa and Wichita State. Who here would sign up for a Duke-Wichita State game? I'm in. Coach K against Greg Marshall? Yep, I'll take that. The other side of the Greensboro Regional he has projected, Texas Tech Xavier as a 7-10 matchup, and Maryland Little Rock as a 2-15 game. So for those of you who have your NCAA tickets to Greensboro already, that's the projection. It'll change 7,500 times before... We get there. The other ACC school, Florida State, he has going to Tampa as a second seed, playing 15th-seeded Winthrop of the Big South. If that happens, I will talk a lot about that game. I've seen a lot of Winthrop this year. Not saying it will, but interesting food for thought. The winner of that game would play the winner of 7-10 matchup between Houston and Purdue. Again, I'm not a big bracketology guy. I'm not a big way-too-early guy or any of that stuff, but interesting food for thought. Five games around the ACC tonight. One of the 7 o'clock games we'll talk about in a bit, but the other 7 o'clock game, Syracuse-Louisville, Louisville Louisville minus 9. That is a 7 o'clock tip over ESPN. 8 o'clock for B.C. UVA, the Cavs minus 12 in that game as the Eagles head to Charlottesville. That game broadcast over ACC Network. 9 o'clock on ESPN for Duke at NC State. Duke minus 6, and also 9 o'clock for your regional broadcast of Miami at Virginia Tech. Mentioned I would talk about the other 7 o'clock game in a minute. Georgia Tech at Wake Forest, Wake minus 2 at the Joel. That's not really the story, though. The real story, courtesy of our buddy Connor O'Neill, the Winston-Salem Journal, talking about Dave Odom. Connor says, Dave Odom takes a seat in Joel Coliseum's media room in a blue sweater. Joel Coliseum's media room, by the way. It's an interesting place. Let's talk about that at some point. And lets you know he's ready for questions with an upbeat declaration. Quoting, all right, here we go. Come on, throw it to me. So the first question, as broad as possible, what is Wednesday night going to mean to Odom? And that's when Odom, rarely one short on what to say, doesn't have the word capacity to explain that. At least, not yet. Quoting, I think I'll know more about it when I walk out on the court, Odom said this week. I'll get a better sense for what it's like. I know it's special. I know it's going to be heartfelt. And I know that just from, you know, a certain amount of introspection right now, it's going to be very difficult to get through it without a swell of emotion. Close quote. A banner will be raised to honor the former Wake Forest coach before Wednesday night's game against Georgia Tech and the 1994-95 Deacons team, which won the school's first ACC championship since 1962, will be honored at halftime. Odom's teams were 240 and 132 in his 12 seasons at Wake from 1989 to 2001, his crowning achievements being back-to-back ACC titles in 1995 and 96. But back then, he wasn't thinking at that time of having his banner raised one day at the Joel, obviously, and he's fully aware that he didn't get there alone. The thing that I've thought about since John Curry came to me and said we'd like to do this, the thing that I know is that certainly I didn't get here by myself, Odom said. Every staff I ever had was stellar. All of the players were committed and good and skilled, and they got better and they worked hard and they committed themselves to excellence, and they got beyond being afraid, which I think was really important. I mean, they played anybody, anytime, anywhere. Odom says and means that about his whole team from that breakthrough season, but two obvious names come to the forefront, Tim Duncan and Randolph Childress. Childress is ready to be a part of a night that's long overdue, he said. I'm just honored that I'm able to be here, a part of it. Wish I could be more with the festivities and not with the game, to be honest, Childress said. I'm super happy for him. He's so deserving of everything, and I'm happy that a lot of our guys are able to come back. We're going to have a pretty big turnout. A lot of guys are making a concerted effort to get here, and that's not an easy thing to do in the middle of the week with families and everything else. Childress is the only player who seems guaranteed to be at Wednesday night's festivities, but it sounds like the program will welcome back plenty of players and staff who were part of the program. Listen, when you're dealing at this level, you don't know if anybody's going to be here, Odom said. Mugsy Bogues called the other day. He said, Coach, I'm coming, I think. I said, What do you mean, you think? He said, Well, the Hornets are out in Chicago. I'm doing TV, but I've got a plane that's going to get me back, I think. I'm not verifying or saying that anybody's going to be here. I think the one that's absolutely positive is Randolph. He's already here, but we're hopeful that they'll all make it. And Odom can't wait to see them. February is a love month. It's a sharing month, he said. And that's what we do. We share. It'll be special to have those guys here with me. It wouldn't be quite the same if they couldn't get here. I mean, it would still be special. But those guys were right at the point of making it happen for me. It's going to be really good. I really think it's going to be good. A fitting and deserving honor for Dave Odom, who spent many years as Terry Holland's right-hand man at UVA, went on to helm the ship at Wake Forest, as you heard, a very successful run as the Deeks head coach, and now his son Ryan, coaching up at UMBC. I'll probably peek in on that just for a bit, just because, again, I have to pay homage to a guy who has such great history in the ACC. A fitting honor for Coach Odom and for the 1994-95 Wake Forest team. Let's go ahead and put a bow on Locked On ACC for February 19th, 2020. Be safe in the snow, kids. See you back here shortly. Stay tuned to our Twitter account for whether it's Thursday, Friday, both night or whatever else. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Love you. Mean it. (laughs)